from the bridge of the island Queen, which three times a week made the voyage between Obeg and the outer islands of the Hebrides, Captain Donald McKechnie gazed across a smooth expanse of grey sea to where the rugged outline of Great Toddy stood out dark against a mass of deepening cloud in which a dull red gash showed that the sun was setting behind it. Captain McKechnie muttered an order in Gaelic to the steersman, and the mailboat changed her course to round the southwest point of the island that was her next port of call. Presently the low green land and white beaches of Little Toddy appeared west of the larger island, and the mailboat made a sweep to enter the Coolish, the strait of water two miles wide which separated the two toddies from each other. It was a Saturday afternoon, towards the end of February in the year 1943, and this was the first time for a week that the mailboat had been able to call at Snorvig, the little harbour in Great Toddy which served the two islands. And there's some dirty weather coming, Captain McKechnie piped in that high-pitched voice of his, with a baleful glance from his bright eyes at the heavy sky lowering over the Atlantic Ocean beyond Little Toddy. At this moment the trim soldierly figure of Sergeant Major Alfred Ernest Odd appeared in the doorway of the bridge house. Room in here for a little one, he asked with a grin of welcome. Well, well, the skipper exclaimed in astonishment. If it isn't Sergeant Odd. Man, where have you been all these months? And where have you been since we left Obeg this morning? I was having a jolly good laydown. What a journey. Stood up in the corridor all the way from Devonshire the day before yesterday. Stood up in the corridor all the way from Euston up to Glasgow the night before last. Stood up in the corridor for the first half of the journey to Fort Augustus, where I had to see Colonel Lindsay Wolseley. You very kindly got me to Obeg in time for the boat, and which meant leaving Tummy at three o'clock this morning in the Colonel's car. And as soon as ever I got on board the dear old Island Queen, I got the steward to find me a bunk, and I slept right through the day. You've had a long journey right enough, Sergeant. Peffinshire. That's a place I never was in. It's a great place for cream, I believe. It may have been a great place for cream before this war, but we didn't see much cream where I've been since I got back from Africa, said the Sergeant Major. No, give me good old Scotland before Devonshire any day of the week. Except perhaps Sunday, he added quickly. Ah, but the Sabbath's not what it was, Captain McKechnie insisted firmly. When I was a poy man, it was a day. My word, what a day too, what a day. I remember my mother once sat down on our cat. Because you'll understand the blinds were pulled down in our house every Sabbath, and she didn't just see where she was sitting. The cat let out a great scream, and I let out a huge laugh, and did my father take the skin off me the next day. Man, I was sitting down on broken glass for a week afterwards. My father was Kilwilly's head stalker. What? Captain Hugh Cameron of Kilwilly? Not the present laird. His father. A fine figure of a man with a monster of a beard pracking below his nose like a wave on the skerryvoor. Well, 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 it's nice to see you again, Sergeant. You've been away from us for a long while now. Nearly eighteen months, said the Sergeant Major in disgusted tones. But that's the way in the army. As soon as anyone's got a job that suits him and he suits it, shift him. I was getting along to rights as PSI with Colonel Lindsay Wolseley's. What's PSI at all? The skipper interjected. Man, the alphabet's gone mad like the rest of the world since this war. Permanent Sergeant Instructor with Colonel Lindsay Wolseley's Home Guard Battalion. Yes, I've been away 18 months too long. However, the colonel's got me back at last and he very kindly gave me the weekend to come over and have a look at my young lady in Little Toddy. 
I was reckoning to get married last autumn year, and then biff, transferred to a special job in Devonshire. That tore it. The old man kicked up at the idea of her going so far away, and Peggy thought she couldn't leave her dad. And so that was that, for the moment. It was pretty annoying for you, I believe. Annoying? It was enough to drive a man off his rocker. But that wasn't the worst of it. Last April, instead of getting married as I hoped, again, and it's West Africa with not enough embarkation leave to risk coming up to the islands. Then I got back in January only to find myself down in Devonshire again. Did I create? Well, to cut a long, rotten story short, I'm back at last, and I'm going to get married as soon as ever it can be managed. You waited a fair time, Sergeant, before you thought about getting married at all, Captain McKechnie pointed out with a shrewd smile. Very wise, too. Very wise once upon a time, the Sergeant Major agreed, but I was 45 last month and I can't afford to wait much longer. Here, I mustn't talk to the man at the wheel. He'd noticed that the skipper's eyes were turning away from the topic of marriage toward the Snorvig pier thronged as usual with the inhabitants of the two toddies, though it was already on the edge of dusk. Joseph McCroon will probably come over himself for the mail as the weather's so calm. Aye, it's calm enough now, but there's plenty dirty weather away out there in the west. It'll plough as hard as ever by morning. So long for the present, Captain. I dare say I'll be seeing you up at the hotel before we cross over to kill Todd. I don't believe I'll be going up to the hotel this evening at all, the skipper replied, his usually bright eyes clouded and curiously remote. But Joseph will expect to have a crack with you, especially as you've had to miss two runs this week. Aye, it's a pity right enough, but I want to be getting along up to Nobost. Well, well, I'm glad to see you back, Sergeant, in what used to be the land of the free before this bloody war. Sergeant Major Odd left the bridge and went below to the promenade deck, where he walked up and down the port side, looking across to the diminutive harbour of Kiltod and the small cluster of houses beyond, in one of which the girl he had hoped to marry so many months ago was waiting for him. Oh well, he was back again now, not like some of those poor chaps in Africa and Burma and India and what not, who hadn't managed to get married all those months ago and didn't know when they would now. Good evening, Sergeant Major. He swung round to see the stocky form of the Snorvig bank agent. Hello, Mr Thompson. You're looking well. I am glad to see you, he declared, shaking Andrew Thompson's hand so fervently that the bank agent's dark complexion grew darker with embarrassment. He was a man to whom words came with difficulty, and he had been walking behind Sergeant Major Odd twice up and down the length of the deck before he had managed to summon up the necessary resolution to break into speech with a greeting. You've been away quite a long while, Sergeant Major, said the bank agent, but the Sergeant Major knew Andrew Thompson's manner and did not suppose that the scowl which accompanied this observation was meant to convey that it was a pity he had ever come back. Yes, but I'm glad to say Colonel Wolseley has got me back again at last. Hmm, is that so? And how's G Company getting on? I suppose you're all as smart as guardsmen by now. The bank agent made a determined effort to smile at this pleasantry, and in consequence his scowl became absolutely ferocious. Not quite yet, he gulped. As a matter of fact, Captain Waggett has been having a lot of difficulty lately in getting the men together for drill. There were only two at the last parade. That is, there were only Captain Waggett and myself. The sergeant major clicked his tongue. 
Still, as long as they keep up their shooting, he began. They're not, said the bank agent, who was also G Company's sergeant major. The turnout for shooting practice has been very poor all this month. I expect they'll be more keen as the spring comes along. It's not the weather, Andrew Thompson observed gloomily. There's another reason. And then, to prevent his companions asking what that was, he added hastily, I took Mrs Thompson over to Edinburgh on Friday. She's to stay with Mrs Pringle. That's her mother and... Speech evaporated in a dusky blush. And you thought you'd have a little run around on your own, eh? Ah, well, I shall be married myself this spring if all goes according, so I mustn't talk. I intended to return on Tuesday, Sergeant Major, Andrew Thompson assured him gravely. But the weather held the mail boat up on Tuesday and again on Thursday. A good thing I didn't arrange to come over earlier in the week, said the Sergeant Major. I'd have gone bats hanging around at Obeig. Hello, we're just getting in. I'll see you up at the hotel before I cross over to Cotod. I'll have to attend to the correspondence, Sergeant Major. There'll be three days mail and the head office will be wondering what's happened. I'm afraid you'll find it kind of dull up at the hotel just now. I won't find it dull. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of old friends and having a jolly good Jock and Doris, as you call it, to celebrate getting back to the two tightest little islands in the world. The bank agent smiled sardonically. They're not very tight just now, Sergeant Major, he said. I went off quickly to find his bag. Sergeant Major Rod puzzled for a moment over this remark and then with a sudden thought that perhaps his beloved Peggy might have come over from Little Toddy to welcome him on the pier, he hurried off round to starboard. The pier was crowded with familiar figures, among them Peggy's father in his knitted red cap, but Peggy herself was not there. You're a proper mug, Fred, he murmured to himself, as if the poor girl would want to see you for the first time after nearly 18 months with everybody staring at her. A minute or two later, he was hurrying down the gangplank to greet his future father-in-law. The movements of the postmaster and leading merchant of Kiltod seemed less quick than he remembered them, and his grey moustache, usually so trim, was slightly ragged. Sergeant Major Odd had not been so acutely conscious of the 20 years difference between his own age and that of his prospective wife. He would have said that Joseph McCroon had grown appreciably older during these last 18 months. There was, too, in the way he shook hands with him, a kind of absent-mindedness, as if he was hardly aware of the sergeant major's presence. And as he wished him, Valtje Dunduhuk, he was not looking at the returned wanderer, but at Roderick McCrory, the owner of the hotel, who was working his great bulk up the gangplank in search of the purser. How's Roderick? the sergeant major asked. Act, he's not well at all, at all, sergeant. He's had a terrible time, poor soul. I'm sorry to hear that. And how's... How's everything on Little Today? Terrible. Just as bad there as here. Terrible. Nothing wrong with Peggy? What would be wrong with Peggy or Kate-Ann? Their father demanded contemptuously. Smoking away, the pair of them, like two peats. It's a pity the government doesn't run out of cigarettes. Joseph took a battered clay pipe out of his pocket, lit it with a noise, like a rotary pump, drew two deep gargling puffs at the closely packed twist, removed the pipe from his mouth, spat gloomily between his legs and replaced the pipe in his pocket. Several of Sergeant Major Odd's old acquaintances had been greeting him and one of them, a man with a nose and a chin like a lobster's claw, said something to Joseph and Gaelic. I don't know, Archie, but there's nothing to be seen of Captain McEchney. 
and if they brought it, he'd have come ashore by now. Aye, I believe he would, agreed Archie McCrory, generally known as the Biffer, a fisherman of prowess about 50 years old. Aye, he'd have been ashore by now right enough if it had been on board. Look at Roderick now, Joseph exclaimed. You can see it isn't there by the way the man's shoulders have died on him. Ah, Dunibach, it's me that's sorry for the poor soul. Ah well, Sergeant, we'll be getting down to the morning star, he said, thrusting his hands into the pocket of his greatcoat. You'd better come up to the hotel and have a dram with me first while you're waiting for the mails to be sorted, the sergeant major suggested. His two companions looked at him quickly to see if he was laughing at them. Then, perceiving that the invitation had been given in earnest, their manners forbade them to tell him how futile it was, lest he should suppose they had suspected him of a deliberate meanness in giving it. Joseph McCroon sighed deeply. What is the use of waiting for the mail? Just a lot of letters for nothing, he declared. We'll be getting them Monday morning. Sergeant Major Odd was only too happy not to wait for the sorting of the mail. He had expected to be kept at least another hour or more away from the sight of his Peggy. As Joseph McCroon and he moved across the pier to the steps at the foot of which the morning star was moored, Roderick McCrory came down the gangplank. Any news, Roderick? the postmaster of Little Toddy asked. Not a single bottle. Ah, Crucier, this is a terrible war, Yosef, right enough. Do you remember that Sunday night, the day the war started? Nobody in the islands could mine such a storm of rain. Water? I never saw so much water come down Ben Stickler. My best cow was drowned like a kitten that night. It was a sign, Yosef, it was a sign right enough of what was coming to us. Water, just nothing but water. My brother Simon said we would have to pay for it by going to war on the Sabbath. I didn't take any notice at the time because an elder has to talk like that, you'll understand. But he was right. But what exactly has happened? How does water come into it? The sergeant major asked. Because there hasn't been a drop of whiskey in the two islands for 12 days, Roderick McCrory replied. And I was handing it out for a month before that, like my own blood, we were that short. And we'll have Lent on us in a fortnight next Wednesday, said Joseph McCroon, who, as a Catholic of little toddy, was not prepared to allow the Protestants of great toddy a monopoly of religious emotion. Fancy the government running out of whiskey just before Lent. What a government. Do you think Winston Churchill knows they've run out of whisky? Roderick asked. I don't believe he will, Joseph replied. It's a pity he wouldn't be saying something about it on the wireless, Roderick observed sagely, for he was a profound admirer of the Prime Minister's oratory. You never know what these governments will be doing next. Before we know where we are, there'll be no peer either. We're running terribly low. The passage of time since last he had visited Little Toddy was brought home to the sergeant major by his first sight of Joseph's youngest son, Kenny, who was now a lanky stripling of 16 in charge of his father's motorboat and always threatening when he was denied anything he wanted for the engine to be off to sea. This evening, the morning star was on her best behaviour and chugged across the coolish without stopping once. The water was as smooth as a tarnished silver plate and there was still a glimmer of twilight when they reached the tiny harbour on the top of the tide. 
Captain Waggett hasn't managed a perfect blackout at the end of the perfect day yet, the sergeant major observed with a grin when he saw the light from Joseph McCroon's shop streaming across the road leading up from the harbour. Ugh, they haven't drawn the curtains. Plenty time, said the chief warden of Kiltod. Plenty time, he murmured to himself remotely. The sergeant major felt that he was indeed back in the islands when he heard those two words, and that, of course, gave him the keenest pleasure. All the same, in view of what he hoped to settle about his own future during this precious weekend, he was cheery of accepting the dictum too easily. Time flies, you know, he reminded his host. Then, in the lighted door of the post office, he saw tall and slim as ever his Peggy, and a moment later he was holding her hands and looking into her deep blue slanting eyes.